Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. This is our second, second week in our new study from the book of Proverbs. I was just sitting there, and uh, naturally, as always, I, I hope you get something out of it. It's, uh, it's amazing what people get, you know, different people get out of, out of messages and what they remember and what they don't. And one reason why we need to be careful uh, about what we, what we say. Someone, someone asked somebody that's here, I won't mention their name, about uh, what the sermon was about or what they learned in the sermon or whatever uh, Sunday and the only comment was Brother Stone shot a hole in the ceiling and just <laughs> left it there. Uh, well, <laughs> so I, um, now that was a long, long time ago. But, and I wasn't, I wasn't pastoring at the time, so... Uh, as though that makes it right. Yeah, if you're not pastoring, you go ahead and shoot holes in the ceiling. But, Well, Proverbs chapter number 1. We started last week, and I said that this chapter, basically, the whole of it has to do with the purpose of Proverbs. Uh, and it gives us some idea as to what Solomon wanted for his son and what God wants for us. Uh, in the first two verses, we saw that there is something to know. And that, that something is wisdom and instruction. Something to know. Verse 3, we saw there's something to receive. Verse 4, we see that something is given. Verse number 5 and 6, we talked about the fact that there's uh, something that is certain. And uh, verse 7, something that is needful. Verse 8 and 9, and and uh, this is where we left off last week. We saw something that beautifies. And beginning in verse 10 down through verse 19, tonight we see there is something to avoid. Something to avoid. Companionship is dear to young people, but it's dangerous. The old preacher Sam Jones many years ago said, if you lay down with the dogs, you'll get up with the fleas. And he was right. And uh, whenever young people start running with the wrong crowd, it leads to great temptation because most young people want, the, uh, they want to please their peers and that leads to uh, a sinful and troubled life. I I was sitting there thinking a while ago about this particular section and the danger of running with the wrong crowd. And uh, as everybody knows what I was back before I was saved and the drinking problem I had, I can remember the first time that I, that, that I ever took a drink and I thought that was the most, uh, beer, most awful stuff that I'd ever put in my mouth. I could not understand how anybody could possibly uh, like something like that and never dream that someday I would. Well, I uh, had a friend of one of the boys there. He's, oh, he's a couple years older than, than I was. I guess I was about 14 then and had an old 41 Chevy. And so he and his brother, and the brothers in the same grade that I was in, and they said, let's go for a ride. And so we took off and uh, went for a ride in that 41 Chevy. 
and uh, there in, in Springfield where I lived, there was a place called Hobo Holler, and uh, all, all of the underage kids knew you'd go down to Hobo Holler, and all, all of those hobos there, I mean, if you, you know, if you would give them enough for a bottle of cheap wine, they'd go in and buy whatever you wanted, and so we always had easy access to liquor that way, and so... Uh, anyway, got in the car and uh, and uh, picked up a few more buddies and loaded down with beer. And I'll never forget, I, I thought to everybody, of course, they started passing it around. And I thought, what am I going to do with this? And uh, so I'd stick my tongue in the end of the bottle and tip it up and act like I was drinking it. And then, you know, come to a good place. Of course, we had the windows all rolled down, and I'd sling that bottle out as far as I could and hope they didn't hear it hitting full and say, uh, you want another one? Oh, yeah, give me another one. And, boy, after a while, one of them said, boy, oh, Stone, he likes that beer, you know, and I hated this stuff. But, you know, it started something. And, and uh, it started running with the wrong crowd and me wanting to please those guys that, that I was with. It starts that way for a lot of young people. And that's why companionship is so very important. And uh, <clears throat> notice in verse number 10, here's the warning. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Well, uh, I didn't go to church. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I, I didn't know that. I, I thought, you know, uh, if in Rome, do as the Romans do, you know, whatever, go, go with the flow, do whatever all of the rest of the guys are doing. And uh, my son, if sinners entice thee, and by the way, they will, not just when you're a teenager, it'll happen later on in life. It, it, it might be in the corporate world where you're promised a promotion if, you know, you just cut a few corners and do something that's, a little bit unethical, you know, and uh, uh, you're going to get a promotion out of that deal. And so sinners will entice thee. But notice he says, consent thou not. So that's the warning. But notice the wisdom or the insight with which it's given on down through verse number 19. And there's three things we're going to see here uh, concerning the insight about this matter. And this whole section is designed to show the deceptive, destructive power of sin. Three things. First of all is the invitation, verse 11 down through verse 13. If they say, come with us, you see the first tempor- temptation is what? Toleration. That, that, that's where it starts, not participation. It just said, come with us. That's where it starts. Come with us. Uh, it, you know, it'll be all right. Come with us. But then notice what happens. It moves on from there. Come with us. Let us lay wait for blood. Uh, Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Why do we always seem to take advantage of the innocent? You know, that's just, that's the way life is. The, uh, the, you know, the, the mentality of sinful man is, you know, this survival of the fittest and why. That's why we have bullies in high school. Uh, is because, you know, they bully people because they can. They can get by with it. And here we're talking about those that are innocent. Let us, uh, let you know, we're going to ambush them. That's what it amounts to. Verse 12, 
Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. I mean, these guys are out for blood. It's not a matter of just, you know, getting money. There's no respect for life. It's you've got what I want and I'm going to get it and you're going to get hurt in the process. Verse 13, we shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Well, it's real easy to see that that covetous spirit is, is, is the thing that gets sinful man in trouble. And seeing somebody else with something that they want, having no respect, no regard for life, and they're going to take it. But the invitation is coming from, from these others. Come with us. So there's the invitation. It invites, but then it entices. Look at verse 14. Cast in thy lot among us. Now, notice this next key section. Let us all have one purse. Now, notice first it was come with us. Now, it's be one of us. Come with us. Be one of us. And then picking up in verse number 15, we see how sin destroys. It invites, it entices, but it destroys. My son... Walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of the bird, and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privately for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owner's thereof. I mean, that is pretty self-explanatory, right? I mean, there's nothing deep, dark, mysterious about that. We all understand exactly what's being said here. And uh, sin leads to destruction. And, and, and when, when we launch out on a campaign, as it were, to get what we want out of life, you know, take life by the horns, you know, just go for the gusto and get what you want, and you always end up not only hurting others, you always end up reaping what you sow, and you get hurt. So the something to avoid is sin. As I said in the very beginning, the, the whole book of Proverbs has to do with the contrast between wisdom and folly. Well, wisdom would have us to follow the Lord in the paths of righteousness, right? Folly says, let every man do that which is right in his own sight. That, that's what folly is all about. Remember Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. How did we do that? We've turned everyone to his own way. And that's always what gets us in trouble. And we are to avoid sin in any form at any time in our life. Now, beginning in verse 20, he speaks about something to hear. And in these verses, wisdom is pictured as, as an evangel calling out for attention. If you can picture him on the, on the street corner, maybe like a street preacher, and he's standing there and he's uh, calling out for the passerbys to to listen. Notice the clarity of the call. It says, wisdom crieth, verse number 20, wisdom crieth. So it's a cry, it's a loud utterance, arresting attention, uh, trying to arouse the thoughtfulness of those that are unmindful of danger. You know, I, 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 
I enjoy many different styles of preaching. Uh, I, I can remember uh, listening to Vans Havner, and old Vans Havner had a real dry wit about him, a sense of humor, and, and I had a good friend that was a professor in the Bible college, Noel Smith, who was a brilliant man, but, but he was a lot like a lot like Vans Havner. I mean, just the same mannerisms. And uh, listening to them, a lot of it was in just monotone. And, and, and I can remember we had Noel Smith come and preach one time, and somebody, somebody said, boy, he just, you know, he's kind of dry and dull and everything. Well, you know he is unless you really listen to what he's saying. Now, I'm trying to make a point here. And that that's this, whether someone is presenting the Word of God in that form or whether it's, most of you don't know anything about Myrtle, Mississippi, but Myrtle, Mississippi is the original American camp meeting. I mean, uh, that's, it's uh, the wildest place I've ever been in my life. And uh, I, I remember taking a bunch of young people down there many years ago, and you talk about a bunch of young people scared to death. I'll never forget Esther Sperkle preached, and he's the one that preached uh, uh, if horsemen tire you, or if the footmen tire you, what will you do when the horsemen come? And and uh, he preached on uh, the voice of God in the darkness. And wouldn't you know that whenever it got right down to it, all of a sudden the heavens opened up and it started pouring down rain and the thunder shook that tabernacle. And, and instead of being frightened, you know what happened? About 90% of the congregation, I thought that everybody lost their mind, they went out in the rain. They were out there shouting over the campgrounds right out in the pouring down rain, lightning flashing all around them because, you know, they were convinced that uh, that God was in this and affirming the message. And it went perfect with the message. I mean, what an illustration. I've got to admit, I've never seen anything like that, you know. Now, I'm saying all of that to say this. The, the whole point is whenever we think about proclaiming the message if if our heart's not in it, whether it's presented in what some might call a monotone manner or whether it's a screaming yellow foot stomping slobbering kind of preaching or whatever it is, if the heart's not in it, it's going to fall on deaf ears. And, and notice it says wisdom is crying out. And, and whenever listen, whenever others hear us preach or whether it has to do with you witnessing to somebody. Uh, they need to know that your heart is in what, what you're doing, not some cold, calculated, uh, uh, you know, ever so correct doctrine, but just dry and dull. And it makes a difference whenever, whenever there's a tear in your eye. I mean, you, you just picture sitting down with some unsaved person, a dear friend of yours, one heartbeat away from hell, and sitting there telling them, trying to impress upon them how important it is that they get saved. And I'll tell you, uh, we'd have a whole lot more people saved if we would begin to sow in tears and we would we would reap in joy. And so wisdom is crying out in the street, not locked up in a you know, the four walls of a building somewhere. And that's part of the problem the churches today. We, we, we quit taking it to the streets. I, I'm glad that we had a group out there on Saturday. How many did you have, Tony? Seven, 17 out there, which was less, I think, than last time. 
and uh, holding up all of those signs right out there in Humble. And, and thank God for that. You say, well, yeah, but that won't do any good. We'll do more good than, you know, the rest of us sitting home watching TV or something. I mean, somebody will see that. You never know. And, and the fact of the matter is God will bless our efforts, you know, regardless of how uh, likely it might seem in our sight. So here wisdom is crying in the street. Notice the circumstances. We see the clarity of it. Here's the circumstances, verse number 20, without. That is in the open. This is a public call. Uh, verse 20 again, in the streets. This is where people meet. And then notice it says, uh, verse 20, in the chief council, uh, in the chief council, in the, uh, in the openings of the gate. This is where concourse, not council, uh, where matters are debated among the people. And the gates of the city, kind of like the courthouse or city hall. And so it's as though wisdom is calling out as a challenge to be compared with all of the other voices. Uh, you know, a lot of times we're afraid to witness people because, you know, we, we I, I don't know whether it's that feeling of inferiority or, or we got the idea that we've got to defend the Bible in some way and answer every question. Well, you know, what if they ask me where Cain got his wife? What am I going to say? Or what if they ask about the two witnesses in the book of Revelation? You know, what am I going to say? All we need to do is just turn the Word of God loose. I mean, it is what has the power. And so getting the Word out there, and the Word will do the work. And so... Uh, here we see right out where the people are gathered, where they are, and notice the, the, the characters that are called. Verse 22, how long ye simple ones? Well, there we go again. We've been, we've already talked a lot about the simple ones, the young, the inexperienced, the simple ones. Will ye love simplicity? And uh, I, when I read that, I always think about the Corinthians, you know, and their prolonged spiritual immaturity. And you remember in Hebrews then where, the, where Paul says, When the time comes that ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. And notice, how long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And uh, verse 22, And the scorners delight in their scorning. And that speaks about a lack of respect. Uh, they're, they're scorning the Word of God and taking delight in it. And the fools hate knowledge. Uh, of course, this speaks about those that lack wisdom and knowledge, and it says that they hate knowledge. But look at verse 23. Here's the counsel of the call. He says, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you and will make known my words unto you. You know, we started out talking about children and their company and what have you. And, and uh, as you well know, children seldom ever really respect the wisdom of their parents while they're, while they're little. Uh, some of you no doubt have seen the little, I guess you would call it a poem about, you know, whenever I was... Whenever I was five, I thought, you know, Daddy knew everything. And whenever I was six, and it goes on and on up until uh, until he's an old man and what have you. Well, sadly, sadly, it, a lot of times it takes a, a lifetime for us to realize, you know, Mom and Dad wasn't as stupid as I thought they were. And it would be a wonderful thing, you know, if we could get young people to plug into that 
while they're small and, and pliable and and that they would acquire the wisdom that their parents have. And so, so there are these things to avoid and things to hear. Now, verse 24, starting there, notice he speaks about something that's tragic. And, and remember, we just got through talking about hearing the counsel of the wise, hearing the Word of God, hearing the warning concerning sin. And notice what happens next. Beginning in verse 24, he says, Because I have called. So the declarations that, that we've been looking at, notice that they are inviting. Because I have called, God's calling for a response. It's not a matter of us just learning more and filing it in the file cabinet of our mind so that, you know, we can better debate the issues of Christianity. God wants a response from us. That when He speaks to us about something, the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, God expects a response. He is calling. It's an invitation, as it were, uh, as well as a command. And then He says, notice the intensity of this, I've stretched out my hand. You know, it's one thing to call. It's another thing to picture God as it were stretching out His hand. And, and that, to me, that adds a warmth to the invitation. You know, God doesn't have His fist closed. God's not uh, waving us away. God has His hand out inviting us to respond. So it's not just some cold, harsh summons but rather it's a tender, loving invitation to come and to receive what He offers. Uh, So many times people think, well, you know, God wants to take all of the fun out of my life. God wants to make me miserable. He's got all of these restrictions and imposes all of these responsibilities upon me, and I can't ever be happy trying to live like that. You know, we look at the laws and we think, boy, that's going to strip me of all of my fun, when in reality, those things are for our own good, for our own protection. It's kind of like the old saying that somebody said many years ago, you know, whenever God says don't, what He's really saying is don't hurt yourself. And we need to think about that. It's for our own good. And He says, I've stretched out my hand. In verse 25, notice how instructive this is, at my counsel and my reproof. Now, counsel is advice. Reproof is to admonish. Uh, The advice has to do with a recommendation, as it were, or a requirement to do good, whereas in the admonishment, that's a rebuke concerning evil or the fact that we have ignored God. Verse 24, now notice what happened. God is calling. God is stretching out His hand. God is extending the invitation, and notice what he says, Ye refused. How sad that is to think that puny, sinful man would refuse a good and holy God. And yet that's exactly what people do. That's in their sinful, human, prideful nature. I called, I stretched out my hand, I gave you wise counsel that would protect you from harm, and ye Refuse, And notice he says, no man regarded. And then in verse number 25, he says, but ye have said it not all of my counsel and would none of my reproof. And notice what happens next. And this ought to scare the daylights out of some people. 
Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have set it in all of my counsel and would not of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not hear. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof, therefore." shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Uh, It is amazing to think about mankind getting in such a position and a condition as that. And, And notice the problems that are described here. Look at verse 26. He mentions calamity and fear. Verse 27, when your fear cometh, and desolation and destruction cometh as a whirlwind. And this drives these people to desperation. It says, and then they shall call upon me, they shall seek me early. Now, we read that and we think, now, wait a minute. If they're calling upon God, if they're seeking God, well, isn't that exactly what God was asking them to do or telling them to do? He was extending an invitation, you know, I've stretched out my hand, I've called to you, come to me, protect yourself, be blessed, and so forth. And uh, now we look at this and we see that they're called in on the Lord, and the Lord says, but I'm not going to hear. I'm not going to turn to deaf ear. And, and you see, the part that we don't understand, we don't really understand hardly any of it, but we sure don't understand this part of it. And that's the fact that God looks on the heart. He's looking on the heart, not the outward appearance. You know, we might look at that and we might say, well, wow, they finally came around. You know, uh, life finally got so tough it drove them to their knees. Uh, they, They began to become so aware of their needs that finally they turned to God. But What we don't see is the fact that they're not turning to God out of repentance, that is, out of a deep sorrow uh, because of their sins. You know, they're turning to God because they want God's help, but there's no true attitude of repentance. To show you the difference, it's kind of like somebody, you know, committing some horrible, terrible sin and then getting up in front of the church and apologizing for it. And because they, you know, they know the church is about to take action. And we've all seen this happen. If you've been around church very long, you've seen it happen. Naturally, we can't look on their heart and we can't know and we can't judge them in that, in that respect. But still, we know it happens. And they get them to say, I'm sorry. And what they really mean is, I'm sorry I got caught. Because if they, had it not become public knowledge, had nobody found out, they, they would have continued right on in their sin. Maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, how in the world, though, can you can can you even uh, make a judgment like that and say that some of those people are not sincere because they turn around and go out and do the same thing again? That you know that in itself is evidence that they were not sincere in their repentance. Repentance is to leave the sin you love by uh, leave the sin that you loved before and show you grieve by sinning no more. 
That's what real repentance does. So God knows that these people are wanting out of the problem, but they don't want in a right relationship with Him. And so God says, you're going to cry out to me, but in that day, I'm going to laugh at your calamity. And maybe you're thinking, well, I just don't, I don't understand why I would say God laughs. Well, for one thing, you've got to remember that God has to accommodate our ignorance, right? He's speaking to us in language that we can understand. It's not like God is some sicko that takes delight in punishing people. That's, that's not the way it is at all. Uh, God's trying to get them to see that, look, whenever, when you turn away from me, I'm not going to have any sympathy for you in your sin. And he uses the word laugh. He knows that we'll understand that. It's sort of the same thing when Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. What happened? Well, God hardened his heart. Same thing, Romans chapter number 1. You know, whenever they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, and neither were thankful, became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. And what happened? God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You see, sin has its own built-in punishment. And God said, that's what you want to do? You want to turn away from me? Uh, well, I'll just give you over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient. I mean, here, have at it. And, and so basically, basically it's the same idea when he says, you call upon me in that day. Uh, he says, I'm going to laugh at your calamity. But just picture being in a situation where, where you can't gain God's help. I mean, that's awful. You remember... Uh, uh, well, my, my, my mind went blank. Uh, Esau, when he sought repentance, and, and what? Did he find it? No, he, he didn't find it. Why? Because he waited too long. He crossed the deadline. He reached that point of no return. And that can happen in a person's life. Do we get that point that God says, look, I'm not going to deal with you anymore about it. I'm just going to, I'm going to let you just suffer in your misery as a result of it. For the turning of the way of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. And I mean, they're doing it to themselves. It's, you know, it's not necessarily that God has to do something to destroy them. They destroy themselves. I'm so glad that this next verse is here and that the chapter ends with something wonderful. Notice verse number 33. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Isn't that a wonderful promise? And thinking about the fact that it comes from God. Whoso hearkeneth unto me. Those that listen, those that hear, those that respond, those that obey God. Notice, they shall dwell Safely. Now, look, folks, that could have been these very people that I've just described. These very people that God said, I'm going to laugh in your day of calamity. That could have been them. I mean, you know, you can't find anyone that God doesn't love. I know God's angry with the sinner every day. I understand that. But, but he loves them. And you can be angry with someone and love them at the same time. And God, that's the way God is. God cares. And these folks could have heard and they could have responded, but they didn't. But those that do shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. So there's what? There's protection 
and there's peace. And, and who's it provided to? Whoso hearkeneth unto the Lord. Whoso. It doesn't make any difference who it is. Whether they're black or white or rich or poor, or learned or illiterate, it makes no difference to God, whoever they are, if they'll listen to God. And that tells every one of us that God's blessings are within the reach of each and every one of us. I said here a while back, you know, one of the problems is that most of us, most of us are content living far beneath our privileges as a child of God. Because there are many privileges associated with being a child of God. You think about being a, a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ and having an inheritance in heaven. And uh, you think about who you are and what you have as a result of Christ. And, and when Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and what? Have it more abundant. He wants us to live the abundant life. He wants us to, uh, you, you know, to to gain all that He has for us. So by listening to the voice of wisdom, by following in the paths of righteousness, by learning of the Lord and obeying God and following God, we have peace, we have safety, and, and all of those blessings that God has promised to us. He says, "...unto us are given exceeding great and precious promises." And I'm so glad that we have a promise for every problem, regardless of the need that we encounter in our life. God has a promise, and He never lies. He's always faithful to keep that promise. So as you leave here tonight, just remember as we go through the book of Proverbs and you think about the great need that we have for knowledge and for wisdom uh, and and the, the personal benefit of it is what? Well, just to name a couple of things is what? Protection and peace. We can dwell in safety. The safest place on the face of the earth is where? Well, smack dab in the center of God's will. You can't be in a safer place than that. Jason was in Iraq uh, for two terms and Afghanistan. I get that right? Iraq twice, Afghanistan once. And uh, what have you? Boy, I'm going to tell you what, uh, we prayed day and night, oh dear God, you know, uh, uh, keep him safe over there. And uh, you hear these stories and the things that happen. But being there in the will of God is safer than being right here in this auditorium and not being in God's will. So aren't you glad that you have a God like that? Amen. Let's